Get it again. This is episode 168. We are talking Stargate SG1. The f- well, not even the full Get It Again team is here. It's 50%. We're rolling with Mitch and Maddie. How you doing, big fella? Hey, hey, hey. Much like it was last week, uh, we're running at half strength here. In this time of COVID and this time of isolation, I'm currently in uh, my spare room. I know you're in your glorious. What do you call that thing? Is it a geek room? Um, yeah, it's just a geek room. God, I mean, it's beautiful. If, if only you could see it, dear listeners, um, you know, full of wonderful well, cabinets, full of memorabilia. You said something to me before we turned the microphones on that I feel like you need to share with everybody who's listening right now. Just knowing how tough we are all doing it, not being able to see each other. What mm. are you doing right now as you're recording? Where are you situated? Well, as I have been in the last several uh, isolation recorded podcasts uh, we've been in our respective houses I've been in uh, it's it is a spare room it, it's kind of like it's a mini it's a mini lounge room uh, a theaterette I like to call it because it's where I come in to watch <laughs> movies but it's a theaterette I put the et on there because it's so tiny um, you know couch I'm in front of like a bunch of stacked shelves full of movies and DVDs and books and all that sort of stuff we've recently had the house painted a lot of that stuff is out in the shed um, all, all that remains is a couch that couch is still full of stuff that was in the room but hasn't been put anywhere because I'm lazy so I'm currently situated on the floor on a bean bag and I did warn you that if you hear anything weird it's because the bean bag doesn't have beans in it it's full of soft toys that have belonged to my three children as they grew up and occasionally they make noise if i move my leg around you might hear a cow moo or a truck go off or something so i'm trying to make it happen but if something happens weird it's not a fart it's probably a giraffe or something um i love that so much just so yeah, much. bear with me if you hear any animal noises. I'm not getting up to anything weird. Um, certainly nothing sexual. Uh, <laughs> at least not yet. Uh, <laughs> it's just a soft toy. That's pretty ingenious, still- though, in terms of space saver. It's like we can have a beanbag or we can have a pile of toys. You know what? Let's combine them and then it can just be both. Yeah. As long as some of mummy's and daddy's toys aren't in there, you're fine. That's not going to get too uncomfortable. <laughs> You'll know about it. If I cry out in pain, I've sat on a mummy and daddy toy. Um, it'll also surprise me because I didn't know uh, that we had mummy and daddy toys in this house. So uh, it'll also be a, a a big eye opener. Or it'll be something opener. Spot. Let's hiding, move on. Hiding right in yeah. plain sight. That's... You don't want to know where it's going to hide, mate, if I sit on it, okay? That's all. Uh... <laughs> we are back in the, uh, where are we? The Milky Way galaxy. We're talking sacrifices. Or as you said last week, Maddie, when you teased it, my big Jaffa wedding. Or big, big fat Jaffa. Big fat Jaffa wedding, yeah. That's and it. it's a shame here the Gibson are. brothers aren't here because I've been talking about this for a couple of seasons. I think a couple of yeah. seasons ago I mentioned the big fat Jaffa wedding. And I had forgotten, I think because you spoke about it, when you said that, it was a really positive sort of tone. You know, my big fat Jaffa wedding, it sounds it sounds fun, right? We, we asked Alban out there to make up a nice video, CGI some faces. <laughs> we asked for Alban to do all, all the work for us because it sounded fun. And then I realized that this wasn't about Tilk or Ishtar or anyone else. It was about Ryak. And I'm like, ooh, why did Maddie sound so positive when it's about Ryak? I mean, obviously he loves Ryak, but um, yeah, look, okay, look, let's get into the synopsis first. We're going to do what we do each and every week. If you are joining us for the first time, we read the synopsis, what the episode's about, uh, off the back of a DVD, no less, and then we'll get into the uh, episode and see what we thought. 
During a meeting with Ishtar's rebel Jafar faction on the planet Haktil, Teal'c receives some distressing news. His son Ryak intends to marry one of Ishtar's warriors. Refusing to give his blessing to the marriage puts Teal'c at odds with Ishtar, even as they are ambushed by enemy forces. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of Jafar words in there. Hang on. So Ishtar, Jafar, Haktil, and Teal'c were all in the first line that I read there. And there's a lot of apostrophes going on. I didn't think I was going to make it, Matty. Uh, I did. And then we went off to Ryak as well. So uh, it's all happening. Yeah, um, lucky they didn't also other... throw in whatever the Jaffa word for uh, wedding is. Oh, I didn't write that. I've got everything else down here. Uh, not so much in case you quizzed me at the end of the episode, but more so just because I wanted to remember there was Simka, which I guess is fiance. Yeah. He, um, uh, Ryak referred to his Simka, Karin. And I'm like, did you just call her Karen? Is she yeah, a Karen? Just called her yeah. Karen and put a, put an apostrophe in there. And that's fine. <laughs> his, his, Sim, his Simba Karen. Um, and then <laughs> the Jafar word for honeymoon, Shimroa. Yeah, like, the first Eva Shimroa. Oh, God, you're the first day. You know what I'm talking about. Um, I actually didn't catch the one about the wedding. What's the, Have you got that? Do you, are you, are you, are you No, familiar? I don't. I mean, we got it twice, you know. Uh, we, got, we got two weddings in here. But I think for me, the, the first thing that I did want to point out wasn't actually anything to do with the wedding. It was... You know, as we mentioned last week, we're you know we we like to do weekly podcasts, but for some reason during this time of isolation, where we should be pumping out more content a little bit easier because we are at home, we don't have to get to the studio. We all all coming from different spots in our same city, but we are traveling from different places to get in. So sometimes it's a bit difficult for us to get in week to week and record a podcast. But you'd think, hey, we're recording from home. This is going to be so much easier. It's been a lot more difficult somehow we're all a lot busier with work somehow our each individual works haven't stopped if anything we are somehow doing more stuff so uh we have you know been doing an episode every week and a half on average rather than every week (laughs) so it's been a couple of weeks since we watched any sg1 you know we were in the atlantis galaxy last week so i've been focused on that and the wraith and whatever was going on with those guys in the underworld and the opening words of this episode was daniel saying hey, you know, Braytac and Teal, what they think, how to take down all of the system lords. And I'm like, oh, we're back. We're back in Stargate. We're talking, <laughs> we're, we're talking about Braytac. We're talking about the Jafar. We're talking about taking down system lords. Like, this is the shit. We're seven and a half seasons into SG-1 and we are talking about like some real hardcore Stargate shit. And while the entire episode as a whole didn't really focus on the big picture, really, it was enough to just drag us back into, you know what, those those sort of one-off episodes of Stargate where we aren't really focused on the war at large, we're putting that aside for a second. We're, you know, we're talking about the real deal, even if it is focused on a guy called Moloch who I haven't really talked about a lot you know, in the grand scheme of things. This is Stargate SG-1. We're back, baby. Yeah, I mean, friggin' Michael Shanks, Daniel Jackson, like MVP for this episode, just in that opening credit, like the opening sequence... Holy crap, was he talking fast and giving yes. so much exposition. <laughs> like, just rattling off basically the last seven and a half seasons of what's been going on in about 90 seconds. Which normally I would hate, I think, if not for the fact that it was all part of the joke based on the situation. It was all one shot and the fact that Jack, who is this now, he's the he's the Brigadier General of the base, 
But he was like, oh my God, this is so boring. Do I have to listen to this guy the whole time? So I didn't mind the exposition, which normally I would. It sort of makes me sick a little bit when they just look at you down the camera and tell you what's going on. But that would, that just works so well. Um, and they even introduces the um, the new term for the, the, the um, Jaffa resistance being the fifth column. Yeah, that's cool. I don't know how it's relevant or makes sense, but I like it. Uh, something to do... I had to look it up. It was It's a reference to the Spanish Civil War. I think was where the, the the term was first coined. So I think cool. in the, in the in the same way like a um a resistance a marquee and you know all those kind of words that we use the fifth column is just another one of those those references. I like it. And the fact that Jack just like doesn't even question it, he just blinks straight through it. Order the deaths of all female Jaffa born in his domain and her underground railroad to Hockdale can't save them all. Even now she's organizing a, a rebellion to overthrow Moloch. Now Tick and Braytac are trying to convince her to see the the bigger picture. What was my question again? Um, how's it going? It seems so innocuous at the time. Balance! <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. You two, like this, we're back with old characters, and that just, it just fit them so well, and, you know, just fit the actors, and, you know, we do have those episodes, and, and, and this was still one of them, by, you know, by, by no means was it uh, an episode where we had a lot of access to Richard Dean Anderson, but you have those moments between two characters and between two actors that have worked together for, you know, seven, eight years. And you sort of forget about the fact that you don't see Richard Dean Anderson for 80% of the episode, 85% of the episode, because that that is him, that is Daniel Jackson, that's those two working together. It just feels so natural and so regular, so normal, that you kind of forget about the fact that Jack isn't in this episode. He isn't in the last episode. He's not going to be in next week too much. I mean, I'm generalizing there. I don't know what next week is, but I just, I like those moments. We haven't, we haven't lost that even after all this time, even after losing the actor on set a lot in, in RDA that we still get to have those moments between, between him and Shanksy and Shanksy yeah. doing his Shanksy thing. And it didn't feel too much like Jack wasn't there. There was, he was, I think he was, he was, you know, just sprinkled in enough that it still felt like a normal SG-1 episode. Yeah. Although, do you know who they did have as a little extra? And this throws back to um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking Affinity with the whole love fest with Lois Lane and all, all that stuff going on, is the the other Jafar, when they go to the meeting and you meet the other Jafar that Teal'c's a little bit cautious of, Aaron. 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 That's Jeff Judge. That's Chris Judge's brother. Oh no way! Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, oh, man. Now I want to rewatch the episode. Yeah, so he's the one that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago. He's married to Lois Lane's sister. Oh man, I, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't give the episode enough respect or obviously attention for me to even look at him and go, are these two related? Like, that's cool. <laughs> and obviously, you know, he wrote this episode. We haven't mentioned that yet, but yeah, Christopher Judge wrote this episode, which is really cool. And like, you know, you've been saying and Brennan's been saying throughout season eight that there's a lot of Teal'c stuff. It's really Teal'c heavy in season eight, which is, which is good as far as the Jafar storyline goes, is that, you know, you think this shit really starts to be building up. We've been talking about the fact that Jafar want to fight off and fight back and all that sort of stuff, that you want to see some progress be made this time. And obviously we've been introduced to the female Jafar faction, you know, a little while ago, but to see them brought back in, you hear all the backstory about what they've been doing between the episodes, but that 
you know, the big thing, I guess, outside of the show, that Chris Judge has really taken on ownership of not only Teal, because it's one thing to take ownership on the character that you play, but to actually take on ownership of the character and what he means in the grand scheme of the entire mythology and branching out and what, what other stories revolve around him or revolve around the other people that he has affected in the past. Like, obviously, we came across the female group of Jafar warriors however long ago that was, last season, right? Yeah. And then since then... They haven't just stood around waiting for us to come back. They've been off fighting their fight. And they've been forming these other little alliances to fight off Moloch and all that. And then Tilt comes back and goes, no, no, this needs to be a bigger thing. It needs to be about all the all the system lords. And they're like, no, we need to fight off the one that's been oppressing us. So they've been off doing their own thing. So it's like it's it's the influence of Tilt, you know, down several different levels. And that Chris Judge goes, no, I can write that. You know, it's not like you need a Deloise or a Martin Wood or or some or a Brad Wright or something like that to come in, or even a uh, a Cooper to come in and go. <laughs> you know what? We've been around for a long time. We understand not only the characters and the stories, but the mythology as a whole. The Chris Judge goes, no, I'll take that on, and he has written an episode, which I I don't know, I, I, I don't know how you felt about it. We haven't spoken about it even after fifteen minutes, but. I, yeah, I like this episode. Yeah, obviously the um, you know the wedding. I can see that'd be polarized with people that you can give it or take it because you know sometimes mm. people like Ryak, sometimes people don't, which is you know I understand all that. Um, but the other stuff is good. I feel like, and that's something that as as you were saying, you know, having other writers come in, they kind of seem to have forgotten about the the Jafar resistance. I feel like every time Chris Judge writes an episode. It's something big for the Jafar resistance. Like the first um, episode that Chris got a um, writing credit for, a story credit for, was the Warrior with um, mm. remember Imhotep impersonating a, a Jafar. You know when it was actually Guawuld. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of touched base with them again. Then obviously there was the Changeling where he finally got onto Tritonin, and there was the big massacre of all the Jafar. And then yeah, he wrote Birthright, which was when we were first introduced to Ishtar. Um, and the and the female Jaffa resistance, and then this episode as well. So it's all these big, big things. I think that's probably if you think about it, that's what five, six, seven, eight. That's one episode a season for uh, for the last four seasons, and they're probably the biggest sort of touchstones for finding out what the Jaffa resistance is up to and what they're doing and where they're progressing. So I feel like if it, if it weren't for Chris doing that, we probably wouldn't have a lot of this stuff, you know, because I feel like it's an important part. It was it was. You know, Tilk's, you know, main reason for joining the SGC back in season one, and it kind of fell by the wayside a lot. So we, re- I think, we really needed him to to step it up on behalf of the Jaffa. Yeah, and they they, they touched on that a lot, I guess. You know, when you had that scene between Braytek and uh, and Ryak, uh, you know, and Ryak even mentioning the the false belief, him saying, "Oh, you know, he 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 left us because we made him weak and." Braytac saying that's not true. He goes, no, no, it's okay. I've forgiven him for that. And it's like, well, you've forgiven him for something that wasn't the case, you know. And and we know that as as viewers, but at the same time, we can understand him, like Ryak or not. We understand why he would believe that, because I guess mm. so many people around him would have told him that, or that's his interpretation as a child. Maybe that's what his mother told him. Well, um, it was you very know, weird too. In that Tilk had that line where he said, "Love weakens resolve." Yeah, and I feel like. I feel like him saying that felt really weird because the whole reason Tilk sort of left his home was to protect his family 
and to do this for them because he loved them so much. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I feel like love, love, love gave him more resolve, not less. So I found that a really interesting line for Teal'c to say. Like, I like the fact that Ryak misinterpreted it, and mm. and um, Braytac had to kind of you know be like, "Nah, mate, it's not, it's not the way it happened." Um, but yeah. the fact that Teal'c said love weakens resolve, I was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't, <laughs> no, I feel that way." And I like that. Yeah, like Braytac, he he was he was a great middleman between so many different people. Throughout, like he was MVP almost for the episode because he just he did so much work between so many different characters, you know, whether it was yeah. Jack and, and the whole rebellion or it was Ryak and Teal'c or it was Teal'c and Istra or whatever was going on. But um, what I liked too about the episode was that while we are very much on Teal'c's side, it's Christopher Judge writing about Teal'c and writing for Teal'c and Teal'c's really pushing his case forward that, hey, this this is never going to work until it's going to be, you know, us versus all the Gould. And despite, again, the way the episode ended where, okay, Moloch dies, spoiler alert, uh, and that Ishta has to come back to Teal'c at the end of the episode and goes, look, you're right, um, someone did come up and take his place. Kind of a good thing that it was Baal because it's like, well, Baal was always going to do it eventually. Whether someone else took his place and Baal killed that person, Baal was going to do it. But at the same time, I like that it wasn't just a clear-cut message throughout the entire episode that, you know what, Teal'c's right. You shouldn't go after this one person because the reason why they end up getting Moloch in the first place is probably because of Ishtar and the other anti-Moloch Jafar. They were there to get him. They drew him out by going to have these meetings about trying to take him down. He comes around. Teal'c's like, oh, yeah, you're right. There's an opportunity. Let's take him out sort of thing. That Chris Judge isn't just there to write, Teal'c's right, everybody else is wrong. He's, he's willing to explore. Tilk is right for the right reasons, but maybe there are other options as why he can do, you know, like he's, he's, he wants to do what he wants to do for the right reasons. Ishta wants to do what she wants to do for the right reasons, but it's not just black and white. There is so much gray there. They're all fighting the same cause. They're just fighting it in a different way. So I like that, yeah, you just didn't favor one character and that we weren't stuck for 20 or 30 minutes of the episode going, why is the episode telling us that Ishta's right when we know that she's wrong and we're just going to get proven that she's wrong by the end of the episode? Like, you didn't sit there thinking one person was right or wrong the entire time at any stage of the episode. I could I could see everyone's point of view throughout the whole thing. And we're, Okay, everyone. I want to say the Ishta argument and the Teal'c argument. I think if we broke it down to maybe a Ryak and, and, uh, and Karin, it's a different story, but we'll get to that later. But um, yeah, I, I, I liked that element of it as well that you know there's more to the Jafar than what we've learned about them in the first five seasons and it's not just about Tilk and Braytac you know that there is I don't know there's so much more to them so much more personality so much more drive and and life behind them all and we get that a lot now that we've met the um the Jafar female faction yeah although I, I did find in this episode I found Ishta really hard to follow in terms of, like, her mindset. Like, mm. she took a journey to get offended. Yes, I know. Like, like <laughs> Teal'c doesn't like the fact that Ryak's getting married. I think it's mainly just because Ryak decided without Teal'c, without seeking out Teal'c's help, without asking an opinion from his father, oh, asking mate. for advice or anything like that. Yeah, I got, look, can I tell you, I got engaged nine years ago, nearly. July 23rd, I will have been engaged nine years ago 
And my brother, dearest Lincoln, still gives me shit for the fact that I didn't tell him that I was doing it beforehand. You think yeah. you get over it? He doesn't. So I can understand Teal because a father of all people that would get go. Hang on, you didn't talk to me about this shit. Yeah, so really I feel like that's all Tilk was upset about. But it's just like, oh, okay, so Tilk's upset about the wedding. He must be upset and think that Karin isn't good enough for t- for Ryak, which means he must think as as me, Ishta, being Karin's teacher and leader, I mustn't be good enough, so I'm going to take offence to it. I'm like, holy crap, did you need a packed lunch and a mat to get there? What the <laughs> hell? And then later on when she's talking to Corinne, trying to give her like advice and, and not get so upset, she literally says to her, you must not let your emotions take you to such extremes. <laughs> I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and I kind of, I was kind of expecting the moment where like, as she says that, you know, she realizes her error in that, yep. you know, she prejudged, like she got over what she said earlier so quickly it's like when she took the journey to get offended by Teal'c she yelled at him about it he yelled back at her and then in the very next scene she's calling him like oh we all must listen to the mighty Teal'c and heed his advice and heed his word about return blah blah and I'm like oh she got over that quick Yeah. so yeah. she she didn't even like go through that normal writing trope of by giving Karin advice later on and realise applying what she said to Karin to her own situation and realised she was getting too, um, you know, too extreme about it from her emotions. So I was like, she was already over it by the time she got there. So it was, it was very odd trying to follow that element of, of her storyline. So yeah, mm. the, the wedding stuff, I think the best stuff was the other three. So it was like, it was O'Neill, um, Jackson and Tapping, uh, and, and Carter, like them having their fun stuff. You know, yeah. oh God, there's going to be a horse. Oh, you're not slaughtering a goat, all that stuff. That was great. Um, whereas the other stuff, the you know, the lovers quarrel, the that classic cliche, oh, you know, we're not, you don't respect me, you don't respect me. We we're we're a modern couple, but then we want to be traditional about our wedding ceremony. Blah blah blah. I was like, that can all go out the window. Whereas Ishtar, like on the planet, running around with Aaron and Teal'c, I'm like, that's the stuff I'm here to see. Yeah, it was. I think that was so much more evident come the end of the episode where you know first in the first wedding we say it's gonna happen it's got to happen it's got to happen bang we're like you know barely a third into the into the episode and we have the wedding and it you know goes to oh, the the rehearsal well essentially the rehearsal yeah, and, yeah. Or, or was that actually supposed to be a rehearsal i just thought that was like or whatever it was um yeah no because at, at the end um of the scene um Braytac goes um and this is why we must rehearse such things Oh, see, I thought I, I actually took that as like, this is why we should rehearse. This is I can see why you oh. guys do rehearse them. So, oh, either either way, like the fact that they have that argument, and you know, then Isha talks to uh, Karin, and uh, Ryak talks to Braytac, and um, you know, Ryak, I'm sure at some stage talks to Tilk um, pre the other wedding. I, I can't exactly remember, even though I watched it literally two hours ago. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, we have the the big battle at the end, and it's all about Moloch, and it's all about you know whether Tilk's, you know, he, his drive is 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 more correct than what Ishtar's is. I know they're both right. Can they coincide? Can they work together? Yada yada yada. Bang! We're back in the gate room. We're getting married again. I'm like, hang on. We we as an audience never saw. Ryak and Karin 
reconcile. Like yeah, it was we understood. Weird. Yeah, we understood their own individual scenes that. You know, Karina had sort of been told by Ishtar, well, hang on, maybe you should see things a little bit differently. You know, don't let him push you around, but, you know. And then we saw Ryak go, well, hang on, you know, um, she's got to respect me. And then Braytek saying, well, hang on, you've got to respect her as well. So we got sure them as individuals understand from their own point of view, talking to their mentors, I should do dif- things differently. But I still felt like we maybe should have seen them have a conversation because it kind of just felt like they just maybe your your idea is completely correct that it was a rehearsal and that maybe they just reached that day three and it was like okay we don't want to get married but i guess we're getting married and thank god we've already spoken to our mentors and we feel better about this because that that wedding even though the opening scene prologue pre-credits was tilk being pissed off there was a wedding happening immediately post credits there's a wedding happening they're bringing horses they want goats like you said there's a wedding happening we get the wedding rehearsal or not there's a wedding situation happening there's a ceremony going on but then come the end of the episode you see it for real and i'm like oh this just feels really out of it feels out of place and it shouldn't because so much of the episode has been about this but it actually feels out of place because i feel like we didn't get that extra scene which in many ways would have been more exposition because we've already seen the scenes that would have led to that missing scene. But I still feel like you needed that. I don't know. That Maybe that's just me. But even though it would have been obvious and them getting together, we, can, we as an audience can understand that just happened behind the scenes. That happened between other scenes. It doesn't matter. I still feel like we did need that. Even if, for an acting standpoint, uh, for, for Ryak and, and Karin, well, I think we needed that for them to be able to showcase, even for 15 seconds, 30 seconds, let them showcase those two characters reconciling. Because it was a big thing. Like, you know, the, the Jafara's warriors, it's, it's a very archaic sort of way of living in the sense of ha- ha- what a man is in that culture and what a woman is in that culture. You know, we kind of learnt that when we first met them. Was it Birthright, you said, when we first met yeah. the, the female Jaffa, that... Hang on, we yeah, sure, all our women are warriors too, but you know, the men are the real warriors, sure. You know, it's like them go, No, 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 we're doing this for ourselves. We're women, we're standing up for our women rights as women Jafar. So I feel like Ryak and Karin being the next generation, that it would have been good for them to actually work out, well, hang on, I don't want you to kneel before me. I don't think that you're better than me. You know, and oh, well, I, hang on, no, 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 I don't. It's not. It's not about me wanting to be better than you. I want us to be equals, and I want you to. Why don't you do it? For me? I'll kneel for you. You kneel for me. It'll be a a great symbol. Because we never saw that in the ceremony. It was just kind of like they got rid of all of that completely, which again is fine. We we don't need to see them repeat the old stuff and then clear the new stuff. But it was like bang, we were in the middle of vows, and I'm like, hang on, so are vows a thing in the Jafar ceremony anyway? Or is this a new thing that is inspired by the way humans do things instead of the old vows where it's a kneeling situation? Did you both kneel like she suggested earlier? Or did neither of you do it and you're just saying how much you love each other and what each other looks like and you look like the sun? and like I, I don't know. I just feel like we... We missed a scene to make yeah, that wedding feel out of place at the end. Yeah, and this ceremony was a bit of a letdown. Like, I'll, I'll take a that's one for this, but there is an episode <laughs> of of Deep Space Nine where there's a great wedding uh, wedding episode called You Are Cordially Invited. 
and it's a very similar thing is you know the the couple that are going to get married they suddenly have that you know that oh is this the way it's going to be the the bride pulls out last minute but in that situation again you don't get that reconcile scene but what actually happens is it's only the bride who pulls away really and then you know her best friend comes and consoles them and says you're being an idiot you know what were you expecting to happen and sort of talks her around and she realizes that she was she was like she'd made an error and then the next scene is her walking down the aisle mm. um so you you do miss that reconciliation but the wedding itself because it's a klingon wedding is so unbelievably amazing just the spectacle of it that makes up for it whereas like you were saying we missed the reconciliation scene between Ryak and Karin and then got a very 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 basic ceremony yeah that just seemed a bit meh like in the gate room it's like oh really yeah <laughs> again Come on, yeah. go outside, yeah. do something. Yeah, I know. Like, there's a bit, this is a very Australian reference to make for any uh, outside listeners. I, uh, I apologize, but, you know, I think I've referenced it a bunch of times. And it, it, again, it is a, a to do with the, the restrictions and the boundaries of a, of a television budget. But it's like, you know, you watch something like A Home and Away or A Neighbours, any of the soaps that we have in Australia. And everyone gets married at the local diner or everyone gets married at the same park that they go to in every episode. It's like they only have the same 10 friends there and they all get married at the same place because that's one of the four sets we have on this show. And it's yeah. like, guys, like you said, go outside, find a different spot. In Summer Bay, a wedding a wedding uh, ceremony is just too damn expensive for the production. So, you know. Well, you know it's going to burn down at the end because at least four people have got to die at a wedding. That's the only thing. You know, that's how they celebrate. That's a reception. It's not a reception. It's a funeral. We go from a wedding into a funeral into a wake or something. Yeah. Um, poor old Corinne as well. I feel like as she wasn't one of the cast, from my memory, of the Birthright episode, you know, she is a new character. Yeah. And a new actor that... She was kind of underdone as far as how much, yeah, we as an audience are meant to respect her as a warrior because she was kind of just thrown in there. And I feel like that character is a little bit of a, she, she was just a little bit of a, of a crying bride to be. And I'm not trying to like say anything sexist or anything, but she was No, there, I, I thought know. she was a little bit bratty. There was a little bit of a bratty yeah. vibe. She didn't bring the noble warrior vibe that any of the other actors bought mm. in birthright whether it be yeah. the adult actors like that trio that were sort of behind ishtar you know in birthright or even that young girl the young girl that had the crush on daniel even she yeah. had a bit more of a, a noble warrior kind of feel to her more than karin did i think I, I i don't mind the opening scene where you meet her when she first comes through the gate with ryak and she's just She's a bit bubbly. She's really looking forward to the wedding. Oh my God, there's so much to do. And we're so excited. Of course, we're going to get married. We're always going to get married in three days. It doesn't matter where we are. We love each other. Oh, come on, Ryak. We've got, oh, we've got so much stuff to do. I don't mind that she is very much like any other sub you know, character, secondary character, bride-to-be that we might see in any romantic comedy, right? And she's just so keen for the wedding. That's fine. Like it, It's actually a nice side to see of a female Jaffa warrior that hang on they're hard and they're out there to kill their masters and all that sort of stuff but you know what she can also look forward to marrying the love of her life I like that that's a nice oh, yeah, little bit definitely. of character progression side of their personality to show but then in 
the wedding where she okay again fair enough she's cracking the egg on hang on what do you mean kneel to you and there's another part of the ceremony that i do want to uh, refer to but i'll save that for later but what do you mean kneel to you i'm kneeling for no man and that includes my husband and he's like well how dare you disrespect me and i'm like oh bro read the room like like, you met her as a female warrior who they're out there like it's one, you know, one for all, all for one situation of like an all female. That, that's Charlie's Angels, like ten point mate. Like you're gonna stand there in front of all her friends behind her who could kill you with a look, going, uh, "You're disrespecting me because you're not kneeling in front of me." But then when she's in there and she's complaining to Ishtar, and why would he do this? I'm never marrying him. He's a pig head of a man, and just like his father. And then the next time we saw her, and she was much the same. And the only time that she wasn't complaining about what was going on was when she was bubbly excited at the start or getting married at the end and leaving and i just feel like they didn't give her enough other stuff to show off that hang on she is just like the rest of them now we're supposed to know that of course because she's part of them so obviously she is just like them but with ishta we see a softer side and 10 seconds later, we see a warrior, hardened warrior leader side back to being a softer side. And she's very emotional. She's in love with Tilk. But you know what? She will live Tilk tomorrow if it means that she can succeed in her mission type thing, right? We don't get any of that from Corinne. And I just, I, I felt for the character. I felt for the actress that you're in that role and that role as part of that group in the storyline, the mythology. And you it's very one-dimensional in many aspects. That's um, nothing against Christopher Judge, the way that if he wrote it, the way that we see it on the screen or whether it was butchered afterwards and trimmed down or anything. But I just feel like that, that character as secondary as what she was deserves a little bit more. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Um, Firstly, I think, yeah, the, I think it did get sort of cut down a bit in that originally this was going to be the first of a three part arc that, that never eventuated. Um, I think mainly because obviously at the end of season eight, they thought the series ended like, you know, that, that was it. Yeah. And then obviously season nine and 10, it takes a very different, different course. So I don't think it ever really sort of eventuated, but sort of just while you were talking about that, I was just sort of, sort of spitballing and just sort of, you know, pitching in my head. And I'm, I'm thinking, would it have worked if, and I know it's hard because, you know, it was Chris Judge's brother, but. I wonder if Aaron, if that could have been Karin instead. I guess you'd have to get around the fact, like, imagine if, like, so Ishta went to that meeting and took Karin with her because Karin was like her her second or whatever, was like her her apprentice and had to come. Obviously, you'd have to write around the fact that it's like, oh, she's supposed to get married in three days. But I feel like you could easily write around that and be like, oh, they're warriors. They're warriors first, you know. You know, they will do their duty and then celebrate after. So imagine if instead of um, Tilk being skeptical of Aaron, thinking he was the one that sold them out. Imagine if he was running around like with just Ishtar and Karin, and then when Ishtar runs off and gets captured, Tilk has to do all that stuff when thinking he has to protect Karin because she's a, she's a little girl and she's you know she's betrothed to his son. He has to protect her, but then she actually comes through as the warrior that you know she's supposed to be. And she's the one that saves Teal'c towards the end there, like Aaron did. Yeah, that'd actually be kind of cool. Like, because then you get that bit where Aaron says to him, "What more do I need to do to prove my loyalty?" Like, that would have been a really cool line for Corinne to. And yeah, I guess to really focus on Ryak, you know, back in the base, thinking, "Hang on, 
like I showed some kind of disrespect to my wife to be. Now she's out there with my father on a, like a do or die mission for the sake of her people, the sake of our entire people. And I'm back here doing nothing. Like, hang on. She deserves so much more respect than what I gave her. Okay, maybe he didn't mean any disrespect the way that he said it. It was just like, well, hang on. This is tradition. Like, you do this. I do what I do. And, well, we just live how we live. But we've got to kind of appreciate the traditions here. But to actually have them out there on a mission together and Ryak still be back on the base because that was his place. Yeah, that would have actually been really cool i would have liked to have seen that yeah and obviously karin was very um she was very critical of teal too remember she was like oh ryak's pig-headed just like his father mm. and all that kind of stuff so i kind of feel like you know it could have been a good bridging thing for teal and karin karin would learn to respect teal and teal would learn to respect karin um and then we get that double up of seeing her being the warrior that you know they keep it's always a thing they're telling us she's part of the hack till and she's you know she's a, a warrior but yeah, she just seems like a, a giddy bride and, and that's all we really get and a bit and a bit bratty. And it, in some ways, it's like we initially got what you're suggesting they should have done anyway with the lead up to it and then the way that it ends where he pulls Ryak aside and says, <coughs> I, can, I can think of no better partner for you than Karin. And it's like, have you met her other than... Yeah. Hang on, have you spoken? Oh, we have not seen you speak to her yet. It was only after that where he hugged them both and said, you know, live well, you know, be safe. And she's like, okay, father. Yeah, father. Yeah. And, you know, she come around to him because obviously he came around to her, but also he'd been out there with Ishtar so she can, you know, feel differently about him despite it not being based on personal experiences. But... It's, it's like that ending was written for the fact that they had experienced this mission together. So Yeah. And then and then that way, while they're going and doing all of that, you could have Ryak back at the base. Because I think Ryak, he's very progressive when it comes to, you know, the Jaffa and, and you know, their freedom and all that kind of stuff. Not as progressive as um, uh, Ishtar's... What does Ishtar call a group again? They're the... Hactil. So, yeah, Hactil. Mm. So what I would have loved is, is yeah, Ryak to realise and, and really highlight it to the audience as well is those traditional things that we do because they're tradition and we don't know why. Like, every December, why do we decorate a tree in our house? Like, yeah. why? Well, because we did last year. But, but why? Where, where does that come from? When you're when you're in fine dining, why is the knife on the left and the fork on the right? Or for, sorry, fork on the left and knife on the right? And you, why? I that's one of my favourite things is to question those traditions. And go, well, why do we do that? Oh, because that's the way we've been taught. Well, you know, you need to think for yourself. So I really would have loved that. You know, as progressive as Ryak is, him then not not realizing how archaic it is for him to expect his wife to kneel before him at a wedding ceremony. Mm. She's going to be the one in the dress, man. It's going to ruin the dress, first of all. <laughs> um, and then it was still like, you know, she had the little the little wreath of flowers in her hair. And, yeah. and I'm like, oh, really? Do warriors, do a, a warrior race going to do that? Before I knew that the wedding was going to fall apart, I had written that down. And it, only in hindsight, it actually it's, it's so much more evident. Like the fact that she blew up 
when it was well now take a kneel before your husband and you know pledge yourself to him and she's like <laughs> no but <laughs> literally 60 seconds earlier it was place the circle of fidelity atop karen's head and it's like cool yep sweet you want to be one with each other you are his and he is yours and you will only be each other's from now on you know you are promising yourself to each other with this circle of fidelity and what's he get a totem of bravery i'm like Hang on, what? Yeah. Like she, what? she never, she never questioned that, and I'm like, as an audience member, I'm like, hang on, so she's got to stay loyal and true to him and pine over him when he's out there and potentially gone for months or years at a time fighting the good fight. What expectations do we have of him? Oh, he's a warrior. As long as he's brave, he can screw as many people as he wants to. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> she's just got to accept that she's going to stay loyal to a bloke. And if he wants to dick someone else, as long as he was brave in battle, it's all good, guys. Don't yeah, as long as he's wearing it. the symbol of bravery she gave him, it's fine. <laughs> That's the thing. is, It stuck out so badly for me as an audience member. And then only when she questioned the kneeling did I go, oh, hang on. Now, now that thing before seems so much louder. Like, why Why were you yeah. okay with that? But I guess, you know, maybe in the writing, it was like the kneeling that seemed as a symbol just so much worse. Yeah. Hey, mate, you know, we, we've said it a lot on this podcast. The line must be drawn here this far, no further. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a that's two or the fact that you're using one of our that's one, that's Ooh. two, that's three references, it dis counts itself look i'll I'll leave that to you in post and see what you want to put in (laughs) (laughs) i did like in the wedding though when it fell apart uh, like they did that quick shot to tilk and he's just sitting there with one of the biggest smiles i've seen on uh, on christopher judge's face in this entire (laughs) show uh he was so happy that it fell apart and then it was immediately followed up by an unscheduled off-world activation and Walter announces it, and Tilk is in the same room. He's in the control room, and I almost really just wanted him to walk over and like tap Walter on the shoulder and go, "We don't need it anymore." Like he'd planned that the whole time, <laughs> like because it was like, had they not have walked off in the middle of that ceremony, that off-world activation was going to happen and ruin the wedding anyway. So yeah. I just love the idea that Tilk had like paid off Walter as oi, give us a warning, and because that kawush is going to come out and disintegrate everybody. They'll all piss off, and uh, and this wedding will be off for at least the next hour, and maybe I can you know talk Ryak out of it anyway. So uh, it wasn't yeah, to be the, the most case, inconvenient nice. spot for a, like any kind of ceremony. Yeah, again, it looks sexy. I get it. Same as when we've had funerals there, when we've you know you know put all the stuff up, and Carter's promotion being held on the gate room ramp. It's all very inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> Um, look, another thing, uh, it, it's, it's, it's probably petty, and whether it was Chris Judge's uh, scripting, someone else doing a little bit of doctoring on it, but when Tilk busted in at the end to say... I know what stuff, you're going to say here. I know what you're going to say here. Give it to me. I've got, it written, I've, I've got it written down. Give it to me. Zatting. Yep. He says, zat us both. You will need to zat us both. He goes, yeah, he goes, even zatting us with one shot... She's so weak that it'll kill us both, or something. It'll it'll kill her. And I rewound it. I'm like, no, no, because I'm watching it. Uh, on, yeah, good people on stand. I'm watching it on stand. Got the subtitles on, and uh, <laughs> I rewound it. And I'm like, I must have misheard it. And he said the word zatting, and I thought, yep. Hang on, I feel that should be a human term. The term zat 
Like that's the human for the term. longest time. I don't know whether Teal ever says that. I can't remember. But for the longest time, at the very least, he referred to it as a Zat Nicotel. That's a Zat Nicotel. That's what that is. Sure, Jack had called a Zat or a Zat gun, or 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 maybe Carter would even say, you know, throw us a Zat, Jackson. I've got a Zat or something. That it's a human thing. It's yeah, a Zat to, gun to turn, or a Zat. To turn Zat into a verb is is definitely a human thing. And I feel like it's, you know, and it's probably written in the script that way as like a as like a direction. It's like, oh, such and such is that, such and such, or such and such is zatted by a off screen or whatever. And obviously Chris has written that in and not realised that yeah, it shouldn't have been there. It's just a weird thing, isn't it? I'm glad that I'm glad it stood out for you as well because I was like, Am I getting a little bit petty with this? But it, like it is. It is quite a clear thing that hang on. And man, it happens a few it happens far. a few more times than this, I'm fairly certain. Right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it was season one, I know if Brennan was here, he'd say, well, that's probably the script supervisor's job to correct that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can still blame him. I mean, you know, oh, definitely. It's, it's well within our wheelhouse to do that. But yeah, I just felt like that was, in a way, such an obvious thing. Like, I don't think I would have ever noticed it before. It's been, you know, 10 years since I watched this episode. But I'm like, oh, I wonder... I wonder at what stage they noticed that they noticed that in editing, and it's like you know, it's actually too late to. We can't cut to another shot; it looks ugly. We can't overdub that because we can see that he's not saying that. Like, it doesn't or no one does, and it just to them because they're so inside the situation that it just seems normal. What they are zatting him; he's about to zat them. It that's what we call it, but it's like, hang on, that, that character wouldn't do that. Like, yeah, he's very much in the vocabulary that that is a Zatnikatel gun, and it, maybe the 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 correct line is even one shot from a Zatnikatel will kill her. That's how they would say it. He wouldn't yeah. say even if you Zatnikatel us once because the noun isn't the verb. But it just yeah, it really stood out for me, and I was like, oh, this, this just took a little bit of the tension out of the scene for me because I don't think you know Ish is going to die. But at the same time, I want to see how it plays out from a from a writing a story point of view, and then for him to say the word zatting, I'm like, oh, now we're back to watching a TV show with characters and actors and yeah, you know, and it uh, it's not it's not the the only time it happens. It happens a few more times in the rest of the series, and also things like where the Jafar say, oh, get to the gate. You know, or you know, they just say gate rather than stargate, things like that. A lot of the vernacular that, yeah, I guess they would use on set a lot, just kind of bleeds in. And it's it's not the only the uh, the only other little petty thing I spotted in the episode too. That was that was the little hiccup for the writing, but just to going to show that you know not everyone is immune. Uh, the director Andy Makita, he stuffed up a little bit as well, and I think this is the first time I've actually ever noticed it, only because. Some, I forget who it was, but someone wrote into us a couple of seasons ago and told us about Chris Judge's um, tattoo on his finger, like his wedding ring tattoo that he has, which I'd yeah. never noticed before. There's like a close-up shot of his closed fist where you can easily see the tattoo. So I'm going to send you the picture right now so you can have a look at it as well. But it's basically when he and Aaron are huddled down sort of on that little bank near the, near the Stargate and he shows him how the laser pointer works, how to paint the target. Yes. He has his closed fist that he opens and then uses the pointer on. You can uh, clearly yes. see the tattoo on his arm. Um, <laughs> we'll put that up on we'll put that up on socials as well, so yep. everyone can take a look at it. But I was like, ooh, and it wasn't even a quick thing too. Like they hovered on that for a little while, like a little bit of flavor for Teal. 
something I I noticed, and they they never really hung a lantern on or anything like that. But something I found quite a bit funny to myself is, you know, when um when the SGC is talking to Hacktill and they're trying to organize plans and and Hack they're saying to Hacktill, oh, you guys are acting too rash. We have plans that are a little bit slower, and 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 they're like, well, what are they? And like, oh, we can't tell you. We went full Tokra on the Hacktill. Yeah. <laughs> like, we are to Hacktill as what the Tokra are to us. Like, I'd never noticed that before. But it was... You basically could have taken that one scene and changed the, the characters and made one Tokra and one human, and you would have noticed the difference. I think that would have been a perfect line for Jack to just be like, oh, God, we're the Tokra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, I think it might have been me because I, I felt like in, in one or two of the episodes, I was starting to feel a little bit sorry for not so much Richard Dean Anderson. I, 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 I said that at the time. I didn't necessarily mean him. It was more so for the character Jack because he was just being used for comic relief. You know, we're getting him for 20% of the episode at max. We need to just use him to add some light to the dialogue and everyone else can take care of the other stuff. But I feel like it really fits in this episode. One, for just his character as we know him, but also being the new general or brigadier general of the base. You know, the idea that there are just horses coming through the gate, walking around, there's kids playing like games, you know, marbles or dice or something, and whatever the Jafar version of that is, just on the side of like hallways and stuff like there's just shit going on everywhere. And so it, it played up for him just to throw out one liners here and there, or, you know, there'd be emotional dramas and we couldn't possibly stay at, in our, on our planet. You know, we, we don't have anywhere else to go. And just the way that he was, oh, I guess you're welcome here. Like, I feel like the minimal amount they used him and for the sort of the one note that they used him for, I think it was better done here then it's been done in a lot of episodes for RDA. Yeah. I think it really fit him well here. I think his standout line for me was, sit down, you old coot. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> my favourite moment, I guess, of, of of Jack's, it was really more about Daniel. And I'm going to chuck this up on the socials as well and have a little bit of fun. But you get that line very early on where Ishta comes in and sort of, you know, pleads her case. Oh, we don't have anywhere else to go and everyone's just sort of looking around and Jack's like, uh, um, yeah, well, I mean, you can always stay here. And she's like, oh, are you sure? Okay, no worries. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, well, that'll be great. And then it kind of just pans out and, you know, you see a few other characters here and there. And then Daniel has got the biggest smile on his face. And to <laughs> me, that's just, that's just Jackson going, oh, man, I'm going to have so many more alien bitches to screw here. Like, I'm going <laughs> to... Oh, this is me to a T. I don't even have to go off world to have sex with an alien. They are coming here. I'm going to get my numbers up. This is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. It was, uh, like you said, it was a real mix there of, of, the, of the wedding stuff to the main, much more important storyline going on. But... Oh, like him more hate him i guess we got to see different sides of reich here and it, it reminded me you know when watching him um practice you know with his with his staff you know um uh in the little training situation before Braytek showed up i'm like we've really watched like this actor grow up you know we only see him once a season really i think on average yeah but 
yeah, we've we've watched him grow. Like he was a kid when he started the show, and seven, eight years later, he is a young man, and we've watched him grow. We watched his character grow. Like I don't know how old the character is supposed to be. I don't know how again Jaffa's age and her physiology works or anything like that. But we've watched him grow from a boy into well, we're getting told a man. He's getting married, so that's kind of cool. Um, even if you know they don't really pay off that wedding thing as much as what they might promise they do. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag, but one of the better mixed bags episodes, I think. And even by way of having Ryak in the episode, which usually has us as a team collectively drag it right the hell down. Well, uh, would you believe uh, Sacrifices, one of the bottom five rated episodes of the entire series of Stargate SG-1? What? All 10 yeah. seasons? All ten seasons. This is down there, like wow. this is down there with um, disclosure, first commandment, politics. Oh, piss off. I mean, emancipation is still down at number one. Uh, <laughs> number one is it really? Yeah, emancipation has a rating of six point one on IMDb at the moment, mm. uh, and uh, sacrifices sits at six point eight, and then like dis- disclosure wow. six point seven. Politics, 6.2. First Commandment, 6.7. I mean, I would have thought at the very least from that five or ten second bit towards the end alone would have nudged it way higher for people. And this is when I really, really want for this episode. Uh, Brendan for his ten hards moment, but Reese for his undying love of Teal'c. When I didn't realize what was going on until it was already happening, when Teal'c's running through to go and rescue Ishtar, and he's shooting, you know, Jafar all over the place, I'm like, how's he doing this? He's carrying two f-ing staff weapons and using them in opposite directions at the same yeah. time. That is oh zip tied together. He pulled a couple of zip ties out of his vest, you know, and he zip tied them together. Boom, 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 boom. Those guys didn't know what to hit him, and it's like you know what he could have done it with one, but there's just, it's too much hard work just spinning that thing around. I'd just rather yeah. tilt them a little bit, and then he gets like it's like Neo in the Matrix. Like you think back that 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 start of the climax of the Matrix, and they get to the the lobby, and they go through all those guns, more guns than he ever needed to. Like he'd fire three bullets, get rid of the gun. I could never understand that. I still don't <laughs> understand it. Twenty one years on, but they get to the end of the of the lobby. And he's utilized every gun that he carried him with him. And I'm like, you've just killed like the eight least important people that you're going to fight. What are you going to do when you get upstairs, right? You've got nothing left going on. Teal, he shot like 10, 15 Jaffa along the way. He gets outside the tent and throws down both staff weapons as if to say, I'm not going to need these. Now, obviously, he's going into a rescue situation. If he's going to shoot anything, it will be a Zatnikatel in case he hits Ishtar. But the idea that he just like, nah, don't need this anymore. And I'm like, that's the greatest weapon you've ever carried. Yeah. What are you doing? So I think that alone for this team would have bumped it way higher than what it is. So, I, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't think it'll... This... I mean, I haven't seen the rest of the season, but I don't even think it'll be in my bottom five for this season. Mate, this is rated like five points higher, uh, five points lower than Icon. Oh. That's a, that's a 7.2. This is a six point eight. I mean, I don't get it, but I don't get it either. Like, it's okay. It's not. It's not an episode that I very often will go. Ah, oh, I need to see Riot get married. I'm gonna pop that disc in and watch that episode. <laughs> but 
You know, I could I could definitely see them going, oh, I want to see Teal with the, you know, double-ended um, staff weapon. You could have stopped at double-ended, couldn't you? I heard you. <laughs> yeah. I heard it in your voice. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm, I really wish he'd actually made that, like, a, a recurring weapon. Like, remember for a while in, like, season four or five, he was carrying around, like, the big giant cannon from the side of a um, glider? Yes. Like, he had the strap <laughs> over his shoulder... And then, like, you know, season four, he had his little chin chin strap, you know, blonde caterpillar thing. Like, I wish that, like, yeah, he'd, he'd held on to that and refined it a little. Maybe actually done, like, a full sawn-off version and, like, combined yes. two or something. I think that could have been fun. Just Darth Maul eat your heart out. <laughs> All right, that's episode 168 of Get Into Gate with seemingly one of the five worst Stargate episodes of the entire series, Sacrifices. <laughs> Though neither of us might agree with that. That is the case. Go on to IMDb and, hey, Logic, just give it a thumbs up. You know, like, even if you don't like yeah. it, it probably doesn't it deserve rate. to be in the bottom five. Just go on there and give it a rate, guys. Come on. That's uh, episode nine. And hey, nine. you know, you got away with it last week. I got away with it this week. No trivia. Yes. How great is that? We will be back next week to uh, go back to the Pegasus Galaxy. I'm going to uh, ask you a question without notice, Maddie. Do you know what the episode's called next week for Stargate Atlantis? The episode next week is called Home. Now, I'm also looking forward to that week after that because we can just have some fun with some you know, movie stingers and little, uh, little, little scores, little quotes here and there. Because this is really made for you and I and everyone that says that we like to uh, throw in a few Marvel references here and there and get it a cake. <laughs> oh, as if that ever happens. It's called Never. Endgame in two weeks. We're talking at Endgame. The next episode of Stargate SU-1, it's called Endgame. Okay, am I going to say it again? Of course I am. Endgame. It's the second best episode of science fiction, of TV science fiction called Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be talking about that in two weeks. Next week with Atlantis, we are talking about home. Until then, you can check out all of our old podcasts on your favorite podcasting outlet. Just search Get Into Gate, a Stargate podcast. Hit us up on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, especially to see uh, those two images. Daniel looking like he wants to screw every female Jaffa in the base, and also Teal's or rather Christopher Judge's wedding tattoo on his finger that didn't get covered up. And Maddie, the super spy, spotted that. So head to our socials to see those images or just drop us a long-form line, getintogate at gmail.com. Don't also, uh, don't, don't also forget. Also, don't forget uh, to check out our Discord, which um, yeah, Brendan's, Brendan's normally on the Discord. I checked it out a couple of weeks ago and, um, and had a little bit of a play on there. It's a bit of fun. So you should definitely check out the Discord. Can we add that um, to Brennan's um, business card? Can he be Brennan Gibson, uh, co-founder of Get Into Gate and Discord correspondent? Oh, cor- I was going to say facilitator, but I like I like correspondent. That's he can good. do both. We can make him both. Facilitate. I'm, I'm going to stop now. Go on with what you were saying. <laughs> and if you don't want to make any sacrifices, jump on our Patreon. <laughs> Yes, yes, so I like it. I just remembered you from last week saying, God, this is tough work, thinking of a new way to segue into it. <laughs> so I like it. So check it out. Uh, we have reached our um, uh, 100 patrons. So once sort of we're all back at full strength, I don't know whether it'll be once we're out of ISO and, and back in the studio, or I'm not sure what, but we've um, our, our goal was to start uh, video podcasting as well. So if you jump onto Patreon, uh, you'll get access to our video podcasts when we start doing that, uh, which should be um, should be soon, hopefully. All right, Matty, I am Mitch underscore Lewis on Twitter and Instagram. Where are you at? 
I'm at High Pitch Maddie, and I have to say, people have been slipping into my DMs lately, and I'm loving it. Back into the DMs, just nice slide, nice and smooth, like. Yeah, I mean, I know we're not doing a mailbag or anything like that, but I did want to give out give a shout out to Jacob Booers, who's been sending me a few little DMs, and he he asked me a question that legitimately I've I've never ever heard before regarding to Stargate, and as and as loose as we get in this podcast, we've never really addressed it either. Yeah, but he says, could it? Could a Tokra symbiote fall in romantic love with its host? If so, how would that work? And then would sex be considered sex or masturbation? Oh, jeez, that is a fine line. You'd really need the uh, you'd really need the Tokra Council to answer that one. Yeah, and, I mean, he did point out that you know we saw Jacob deep throat Selmac, so you know, <laughs> it it could be a yeah. thing. I mean, I think we know how it would work. It's yeah, what the terminology <laughs> is one thing, and I yeah, I want to say that it probably would be possible. I want to say well, that I mean, it's possible. If, they, if they're two separate entities, then they should be able to, you know. And it's supposed to be a blending, a you know, it's a very deep connection. Yeah, and I guess if it is a truly symbiotic relationship, then they would become one with another. So you know. As much as you can't fall in love with yourself, or I can't fall in love with myself, <laughs> you know, beyond beyond what we're capable of, Muddy. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I maybe maybe it isn't possible because you become so much a part of the other person and understand who they are on like a deeper level than anyone will ever otherwise be able to understand. I still want to say it is kind of possible because we have seen in many instances a symbiote fall in love with another human host you know with with you know with regard to Jolna and and uh and what was his old name the big teeth guy Martouf you know that they had that going on too where they you know they were very much in love on on different levels so well you know and we, we looked at um uh old mate um from season 4 remember the wannabe 7 of 9 was a Freya and Anise Anise and like Anise had a thing for Jack but Freya had a thing for Daniel or vice versa? Well, he did also uh, posit that uh, you're not a true Stargate fan until you've whacked it to a Wraith Queen. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's the kind of things that I'm getting in my DMs, which I'm here <laughs> for. I'm loving it. I can proudly say so far that I am not a true Stargate fan, if that's the case. But hey, yeah, we've me got neither. plenty of seasons I, to go. <laughs> maybe you will be by the end of the series but yeah up until this point I mean I guess I'm not a true fan of Stargate either alright we'll be back next week um, hopefully off the beanbag Maddie because I've actually just found a soft spot would you like to hear it oh oh mate I'd love to see a soft spot in your beanbag <laughs> oh Jesus I, re- I really walked into that one but yeah. look we've been here for over an hour and I haven't been able to like make my beanbag squeak with all those soft toys but unfortunately <laughs> I just moved and I thought it might have cut through and There's now I'm going to make sure it cuts through yes it does let's move on uh, but look this is what we could have been you know having to experience throughout the whole podcast that's going on right under my left wow. foot so well, I'm glad we avoided <laughs> that throughout the podcast I'm going to be much more professional next week that's a lie but I won't be sitting where I'm sitting so uh, Maddie, same time next week buddy we'll see you then sure you done messed up A.A. Ron get into geek